Hello, everyone, and welcome to Back of the Grid. My name is Chris, and I'm joined this week by Tom. Hello. And no stew this week, because it sounds like he spent most of his day sat on a plane that's not moving anywhere, so he's the still... kind of plane. Yeah, he's still <laughs> somewhere trying to get home. Um, so yeah, yet another two-man episode. Hopefully, um, for the last couple of reviews, we'll all be at full strength again. Um, hopefully, we obviously, yeah. Yeah, hopefully. We obviously have to start this week with the sad news in the last few days that uh, Sir Frank Williams passed away at the age of 79. Um, it's he's he's one of those people. It's hard to know where to begin talking about him. Like, uh, yeah, just an absolute titan of the sport. I don't think F one would be what it is today without the influence he's had on it over the years. Yeah, at least not from a privateer point of view. I think manufacturers would come and go, but Williams is both a person and then a, and ultimately like a racing brand yeah. really in what he did under his name did a lot for privateers so much so that there was the williams renault clio if you remember that i do remember Chris. that yeah that, that classic yeah um but yeah you're right like he literally built that team from nothing up to it being just the dominant force at one point in formula one um I was kind of looking up some numbers. One thing that I hadn't realized until I actually read it, um, Williams are second only to Ferrari in terms of constructors' championships. Williams got nine of them, but Ferrari had a 19-year head start on them. So yeah, to, to be that close is, is you know impressive in itself. Um, seven drivers' championships, 114 wins. Again, only behind Ferrari, McLaren, and Mercedes, who only just passed them last season. Like the list goes on, and the sort of the number of drivers that drove for that team many of whom he bought into the sport as well like you know alan jones keke rosberg nigel manson nelson pk alan prost out in center and then obviously more recently uh, bottas and russell he gave um the first drives to as well so yeah it's obviously a, a huge huge loss for the sport um i think the one sort of i think shining light for me is it's a shame that he wasn't able to see the team get back up to where they belong but at least he saw the future of that team secured and the fact that the Williams name is going to stay in the sport so at at least that is kind of something he was able to see before um, before he passed which is nice at least yeah uh to move on a few news bits before we get into the previewing the first saudi arabia grand prix uh the spanish grand prix is remaining at the circus catalonia until at least 2026 i mean are we surprised (laughs) are we do you want me to pretend to be surprised (laughs) do you want me to pretend i didn't expect any of this it it's it's at some point with all these new races coming up, they're going to need to make room on the calendar. And I feel like whenever there's talk of races being dropped, Spain is always high on people's lists and it just keeps surviving. It just like, it never seems to uh, actually get close to properly losing its spot. I think, I think it's attendance as help to be yeah. really honest with you. Like in terms of accessibility from a European standpoint, it is quite easy to get to. It's quite accessible. There's a lot of like camping space and things like that. Um, yeah, it's not very far from. I, I mean, we call it Barcelona, but it's not really in Barcelona. It's in like a small <laughs> town on the outskirts of Barcelona. It's like me 
saying I still live in Sheffield when I live in Mumwell. It's, <laughs> it's not, that's a very UK-specific geography really point there, but it's like it's it's not really Barcelona. No. Um, but it's still pretty accessible. And like I said, a couple of times that I've been, it's been pretty, pretty busy. Yeah. And well, have you've got Spanish drivers on the grid as well. Well, yeah, like, as I say, the presence of being back, signs being in, uh, in a Ferrari, I think. A lot of things like that probably play a factor. Yeah, definitely. In the um, contracts. The the deal did include um, an agreement for some upgrades to the track by the owners um, and the facilities. Whether that means layout changes or just generally bringing it up to spec is uh, yet to be seen. But... Um, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone agrees that track could do with some tweaks. Like, they made some changes last year and they fixed the bits that weren't broken, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, like, I'd, I'd, I don't think that facility-wise, I, I wouldn't say it's, there's any problem with that. I don't know if anyone, how many people listening have ever been, but it doesn't look like it. It's decent. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not got the like the huge complex that Silverstone's got, or like the museum or anything that Silverstone's got. But in terms of like amenities to go there and you know get food, get drink, be sat comfortable, and so on. Like, it's, it's all right in that standpoint. I think. I think the thing would be is to make some of the changes to the track that people would like to see. You would have to maybe rebuild some of that infrastructure because there's always the point that the final. Um, chicane is like it is because they can't produce the amount of runoff needed to have the old yeah. corner the way it was and the reason they can't do that is due to limitations of moving that stand back because that stand is like there's, there's a there's like sort of a big wall and fence right behind it and as far as i know that's not their land that's the other side of it hence it being like it is so maybe investing some of the money to purchase some of that land and be yeah able maybe to, expand out i don't know what it'd be but the probably only, needs something like that doesn't it the only other thing i think is perhaps some of the pit facilities need an upgrade but um even then i don't feel like from seeing it they look particularly old and shabby so but yeah we yeah. shall see um it's also expected that uh testing is going to go back there that they're going to hold the first test next year in spain then the second test in bahrain is the kind of what people seem to think currently I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it does. The it's it's fairly easy traveling for the most of um, the most of the grid. I suppose the only team that might struggle a little bit is Haas. Yeah, pretty much stateside. But but even then, I think their cars are based somewhere in the UK, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. They're, I'm sure they'll have some facilities yeah. over here for for manufacturing and. And stuff. it's a good testing track as well. Like it doesn't necessarily produce the best races, but it is a good testing track that kind of test every element of of an f1 car so I, I think there is still an element of the fact that that's why it doesn't always produce the best racing because they know it so Be well because they know it so well and the, the cars run there so much um like you watch other series race there and it's entertaining it doesn't appear to hmm. generally be formula one that struggles there yeah but that could just be that the cars have outgrown it it's it's a little bit like the hungaroring effect that it's it is quite an awesome circuit for the for the drivers and for the flow and even to watch cars go around it's it's really entertaining. Oh yeah, I'm sure. It doesn't always produce the best racing because 
of the fact that these these kind of corners don't really set up an overtaking opportunity in the modern spec of car and the narrow as well. They're they're both quite narrow in a lot of places mm-hmm. in terms of there there is only just two cars width in a lot of places <laughs> at both those circuits. Yeah. But ironically, they are two of the best to visit as a spectator. <laughs> in, yeah. You know, just in terms of atmosphere and and what you what you can actually see from wherever you put yourself, being able to see like multiple corners and, yeah, and stuff. It's they are both really good for that. So it'd definitely be a shame to see them go completely. But it'd be nice if we could get a compromise that improves the racing Hopefully. without compromising the experience or anything. We shall see. Yeah, a uh, couple of other quick bits. Uh, Robert Kubica is going to remain as Alfa Romeo's reserve driver for the 2022 season. Um, announced at the same time as what I'm sure is completely unrelated news that Polish petrochemical firm Orlen is going to continue their title sponsor deal with Alfa Romeo. No relationship <laughs> between those bits of news whatsoever, I'm sure. Hmm. Um, Oscar Piastri has got a reserve role at Alpine next year um, and has said he's not planning on doing any other racing and he's just going to focus on being with the team, taking any testing opportunities and just being ready if a race seat does arise at any point um i do think it's a real shame he's not got a seat um he won back-to-back um formula renault euro cup titles and then the f3 title in 2019 and 2020 and he's on the verge of winning f3 and f2 this year so those three titles are back-to-back which is something not many drivers have achieved so yeah He's more than proved he deserves a spot. So I really hope this is just a single year out for him and he finds a way onto the grid um, in a season or two's time. Trouble is, being with Alpine, they don't really have anywhere to put drivers, do they? They've got two seats no. and they're very much full. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely going to be around at Alpine, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll see him crop up in a FP1 session once twice next year and probably at the postseason test in Abu Dhabi as well this year I would imagine yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if uh, I've, I'm trying to think when we normally hear about the lineups for those a few names have started to appear um, yeah Robert Schwartzman's going to be doing the test for Haas um, I don't think any of the names have been confirmed yet but uh, it's normally around the last couple of races of the year that yeah I was about to say we'll probably find out in between these next two races, I would I'd imagine, imagine so, because yeah. it's the week after the race, isn't it? Yeah. So usually I'd quite a lot thought... of the F2 grid, just because they're always there for their last race of the season. Yeah. So like Guan Yu Zhou is almost certainly going to be um, in one of the Alfa Romeos, given that he's there next year. Yeah. Um, and then a quick bit of Formula E news. I haven't spoke about Formula E for quite a while. But pre-season testing for them is underway in Valencia today. Uh, and the full grid has now been confirmed. Uh, to mention a few drivers of interest, uh, Antonio Giovinazzi, he's making the jump to Formula E. He's joining the Dragon team. Yeah. Um, which actually, when we spoke about him losing his seat, Formula E was one of the things we didn't mention at the time. I think we mentioned every other series going and didn't mention Formula E. But yeah. it was it looked like it definitely been planned for a little while as well and and they were just waiting to confirm it because mm. basically within minutes of yeah. the alpha thing being confirmed um for Joe it was Giovinazzi announcing that he will be at Dragon yeah so it didn't take long at all so i think that's that's a deal that He's probably known for a little while that he's been needing to find a seat and he's had that deal in place for a little while now it sounds so. like it, doesn't it but that's good i'm i'm 
I'm happy that I'll be seeing him more of him because yeah. I do remember in like GP two days and and stuff. I was I was quite a big fan of Giovinazzi mm. and it it just never really panned out from him Formula One, but. I mean, don't hold me to it, but I've got a feeling that he could be one of those drivers that never really broke through in Formula One, but can go to Formula E and do quite a lot. Like we've seen so many do, like, you know, you like Buemi and Degrassi and so on. Like, you know, they got some time in Formula One, but never really had a breakthrough kind of moment and then went to Formula E and, you know, won multiple titles between a lot of them. Yeah, so. I mean, his his junior career sort of proved he can do well and win races in sort of more spec series. So, uh, yeah, I think Formula E will probably suit him, honestly. Yeah. Um, Lucas Degrassi is joining Venturi because obviously he was out of a seat because Audi left, so he's going to be sticking around, which is good to see. Um, Oliver Askew is joining as well. So he's former IndyCar driver. He was the Indy Lights champion a few years yeah. ago. Yeah. He's joining Andretti, and amazingly, he's going to be the first American full-time Formula E driver because there's been a couple before, like Scott Speed did a yeah, few races. Yeah, Scott Speed's done yeah. some. But they've always been just like a kind of few race guest appearance, so he's actually the yeah. first American full-time driver, which is cool to see. Yeah, definitely. And then finally, Dan Tictum is joining Formula E, <laughs> moving over from <laughs> Formula 2 to join the Neo team, which is going to... Be interesting. <laughs> I really wish right now I could remember the quote that he said about Formula E that one time. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've seen it banded around online a lot. Can't remember exactly what it was, but he's not been particularly complimentary in the past. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's not the same thing, but it's kind of why you never expect Nico Hulkenberg to sign a deal with a Formula E team because he yeah. was always quite anti <laughs> Formula E. <laughs> It was like, yeah, I'll go race anywhere except that. <laughs> More yeah, basically. But, yeah. Uh, but we should move on to what we're really here to do, which is to talk about the first ever Saudi Arabian Grand Prix at the Jeddah Street Circuit, which has been completed on time. It's been done. It's, it's finished. Been, it is done and ready. Um, it's. I mean, we spoke a little bit last week. It's a wild circuit. Uh, it's claiming to be the fastest street circuit on the calendar. They're estimating an average speed of 155 miles an hour, top speeds approaching 200. Um, I've sort of seen people describe it as Monza with Monaco walls, but I mean, calling it Monza implies it's mostly straight, and it's the opposite of that. It's mostly yeah. high speed wiggles. Um, also I, claims I, to be the circuit with the most corners at 27, but I can hear Stu protesting that from a distance oh yeah there's, there's 100 percent corners there that i wouldn't consider corners no not at all. Or, or multiple numbers on what i would consider the same corner i mean like when you look at the map you're sort of looking at towards the end like 20 24 and 25 i think they're both just one yeah, that's, one the, right that's just the same corner 26 and 27 i think it is again towards the end of the lap like it's just one long left same corner it's all the same corner. I just don't get it. But yeah, it, it, I mean, it, I'm very, I'm very eager to see the cars round it at pace. Yeah, um, I think. Yeah it it does remind me a little bit of the way that um, Austin tried to take the bits of certain tracks and then kind of 
plonk them down together and go, okay, well, these, yeah. these long straights in Monza are nice. Let's get some of those in. Like this sweeping bit at Silverstone's really nice. Let's get something like that in. And I feel like they've tried to do that, but then squashed it so that it's like a, <laughs> it's really narrow. Yeah, it's very um, weird. But uh, yeah, this the sweeping section sh- should be really interesting because at least at, at least next year, because we are going back, aren't we? How yeah. many deal is it that he got? Can you remember? Off the top of my head, it was like it was a biggish one, like a five or six, I think. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm sort of I'm more eager to see next year's cars around it and see what ground effect does at a circuit like this. Yeah. But I think it'll still be interesting this year. Yeah. It's just um, whether or not it negates any overtaking opportunity by being so flowing that well, you don't really get a breaking opportunity, do you? It is I mean, when I look at it, I see three opportunities. Yes, yeah, so there's obviously turn one. Um, yeah. turn 13 which is the loop at the one end these kind of a banked yeah. corner it's, I it, can't it, see that being a direct overtake I think that's going to be more running together through that and it then is wide enough to go some, side by side through there like it's a, yeah. it looks like a multiple line corner but then the exit doesn't really the end exit kind of tightens up so I'm not well, too sure about that that's exactly what I was about to say like it looks like you could maybe run two round that corner at the bottom but then somebody will have to yield before you hit that next twisty bit coming out of it on the other side. But yeah, I mean, as obviously turn one, maybe turn four, because I'm, I've, I'm yeah. not sure how, how much you'd have to, you know, how much of a breaking zone that is actually going to be in this mm-hmm. year's cars. And then possibly the final corner possibly but yeah a- again you don't know how much of a breaking event is going to be i mean there's three drs zones and none of them are completely straight um yeah the second drs zone looks kind of pointless to me because i don't think there's gonna be any passing into what is that what turn 22 that is if you yeah those of you checking your track maps um we had a, a chunk of inbox about this circuit so should we maybe do that bit now um yeah kind of is it not um is a detection zone that oh no no sorry it does run into sorry yes, no, so you're right it runs down into turn 22 and then the end of that drs zone is a detection zone for drs zone number two yeah a little bit like yeah. um there's a few tracks like, like canada like as yeah. you as you exit the first one it's the detection for the second one kind of thing yeah okay um sense. yeah so i'll grab some bits of inbox there are a few similar questions um Jeff asked for over and under on full safety car periods during the race and Will Hamilton <laughs> Verstappen even finished the race. Uh, Brisbane McLaren predictions on safety cars. I can see a few happening. Um, Alice said, looks like there's a lot of concrete walls. You reckon we'll see a lot of caution in a Monaco style race. And then Toby Godfrey said, could you discuss the risk this track might pose to drivers? No room for error. Very, very fast, narrow blind corners, close, uh, close walls, etc. Monaco on steroids, basically. I, I think... I think walls, as weird as this might be about to sound, I think walls around the circuit haven't been as big of a threat in the last few years as we like to think they should be. Like, think about Mm. Monaco the last couple of times we've been. There's been practically no DNFs. I mean, at least not during the race. They've they've had incidents. They've kind of got them all out of the system in practice. Yeah. And by race day, we've not actually seen the incidents that we usually expect. The difference, I think, here is nobody knows this circuit. The best they've done is simulator work. Mm-hmm. And 
it's not like a Monaco or something where you've driven it, you know, in previous seasons or in other formula or it's one of the most iconic race circuits in the world. Therefore, yeah. most like I mean, I'm not saying I could drive at F1 pace, but I could find my braking points pretty quickly around Monaco. Yeah, driving round like it's it's just one of those circuits that everybody knows. This is a very different factor. It and is. It's going to be a bit more like the first couple of years we went to Baku, probably, mm-hmm. where we see, I'd say, two, maybe three safety cars. I'm, um, yeah, like it's, it's, it's the, it's the combination of it being a brand new circuit, a very fast circuit, next to no room for error, new tarmac, and probably sort of quite dusty. Um. I'm, I, I'll, I'll admit I'm a little nervous going into this weekend, particularly for Formula 2, actually. Like, Formula yeah. 2 having... Like, Sochi was the last time those guys got in those cars and drove them. So they've been out of the cars for a long time. And now to come to a brand new, very fast circuit is a little... I mean, you've only got to look back at the first uh, race in Baku and what happened in the Formula 2 races there. Like, if you haven't seen them, go back and watch Formula 2 back who, what, 2016 was it, I think? It was... Yeah, 2016. It was a mess, to put it mildly. So, uh, yeah. Formula 2 worries me a little bit here. Um, The F1 guys I've got a lot more faith in. Um, The the big worry is, as as one of the questions implied, it's not the... It's not necessarily the walls, and they're using a lot of... um, safer barriers here as well which you use a lot in IndyCar yeah. and NASCAR and they are very good at what they do but it's the cars having an incident and then being bounced back onto the circuit particularly with so many blind corners is the yeah the real concern yeah and I suppose one of the other things as well with a circuit like this is when you do think of a circuit like Baku at least because they are actually streets that are used day to day they're all 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 the corners or a lot of the corners are at actual junctions, like yeah. whether it's crossroad junctions, crossroad intersections, or um, you know junctions off a main road or something like that. So you have that natural runoff area that just presents itself to yeah. you because you're at what would be normally an intersection. You're forcing the car to take the left, therefore you've got what would normally be straight ahead exactly, yeah. to create yourself a nice runoff that cars if they overshoot braking points, can roll into, get off the brakes and roll into and bring themselves out safely, unless you're Danny Ricardo. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But here, I don't think we've really got anything like that, have we? From what I remember of like all the virtuals and stuff. The thing is, it's although they're calling it a street circuit, it's all brand new tarmac. It won't be streets yeah. until after Formula One has raced there. It's 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 more like they built a race circuit and then after the racing's done, they'll then like connect it to the roads and build some buildings around it. Yeah. Which is basically South Korea 2.0. Kind of is, yeah. Because um, that's what was always supposed to happen with. Um, so was it Seoul? Was it in Seoul? No, it was it was. I can't which city it was near to now. Um, that was one of the problems with it is that it wasn't anywhere near any of the really big cities. Yeah, I, I, for some reason, I always thought I always thought it was on the outskirts of Seoul, and it was like they were going to build a new sort of shopping and yeah. residential district all around it, but maybe it wasn't. But yeah, yeah, it's it's the same sort of it's the same sort of idea, isn't it? Like yeah. make it appealing by sticking a Formula One track down, 
and hope that that brings in the punters. Yeah. <laughs> we shall see. We'll see. Um, but to move on to, I guess, the big story, we can finally say now in the penultimate race, we have, we can talk about how someone can win the title. Max can wrap it up this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we we promised that we'd do this this week, didn't we? Because we had a lot to talk about last week. Yeah. So the permutations are... Um, if Verstappen finishes first with fastest lap and Hamilton is sixth or lower, Max is champion. If uh, Max wins without fastest lap, Lewis uh, has to be seventh or lower for Max to be champion. Max finishes second with fastest lap, and Lewis has to finish tenth or lower. And then if Max finishes second without fastest lap and Lewis is outside of the points, Max will become champion. I would say most of those are unlikely. But this is the 2021 Formula One season we're talking yeah, about, and it's it's unlikely, but it's an it is an unknown entity. Yes, I think I think were we going somewhere that uh, we already knew as a circuit, just full stop, I would be more inclined to say I don't think any of these permutations will come about. I don't um, think so. However, <laughs> being in the situation. We're in. You can't really rule it out, can you? No. You really can't. Um, there's. It's also like really hard to tell who's going to be fast here. Um, yeah. Like most opinions I've read seem to think it's going to be close, but probably is going to favour Mercedes more. But it, it, it kind of looks like there's elements. The, of the track that will suit both cars. It's a, it's a weird one. Yeah. I mean, the last two races where I've said, I think this car's going to be better here, I think this car's going to be better here, I've been wrong. So I might just go with the opposite of what I originally thought, <laughs> to be brutally honest, when it comes to predictions when we get there later on. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it certainly should suit Mercedes. Mercedes have tended to be better at the faster circuits, but then... Austin was very high on everyone's list of circuits that yep. will suit Mercedes, and we all know what panned out there. So, yeah, very difficult. Um, what else are we looking out for this weekend? Oh, um, I mean, Ferrari's form, I think, mm-hmm. because they've continued to improve. So. I I, I genuinely it pains me a little bit to say it being a McLaren supporter, but I think they're gonna keep pulling away from McLaren at this point. Um, mm. I think this circuit might be McLaren's last chance to to score big over Ferrari. I think Abu Dhabi will be too close to 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 have any meaningful gap between the two. So. Yeah, I agree. It's something I'll be keeping an eye on at least, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, four points in the last three races for McLaren, so it can't get much worse for them. No. I mean, there's been elements of bad luck there, to be fair, but I just... I think there's an element of things we talked about last week where uh, McLaren have, have sort of... Well, they ran out of development tokens very early because of changing to the Mercedes engine. Mm-hmm. And I think that they've probably reached a point earlier in the season where they've just taken their eye off this season to 
to add more focus to next year. And I think that's um, sort of shown a little bit more in these last yeah. couple of races. But it's still a good finish for them overall. It's just it would have been nice for them as a team to be ahead of Ferrari. It'd be be a meaningful step for them, I guess. Yeah, definitely to to be into that top three ahead of them. But yeah, I I, I would say Ferrari are going to pull away. That's... That's kind of how I feel as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, as a McLaren fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, Alpha Terry really need a good result as well. Um, Alpine have uh, built quite a decent gap after that third and fifth yeah. um, at the last race. So uh, Alpha Terry have been on a pretty ropey run of form themselves. Um, could really do with a good result. Um, I I feel like again, let's say I feel like um, Yas Marina is going to suit Alpha Terry, but then again, that's kind of a semi-new track as well so it's yeah it's it's so weird to be finishing the season with all these unknowns in terms of circuits <laughs> um all that said should we move on to predictions yeah we can do some predictions i'm, I'm, he- I'm hesitant to suggest it because i'm so lost <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> well I mean, is a there's a little bit less pressure, I guess, because Stu's not here, <laughs> so you don't have to feel like you're copying. It doesn't mean he can see what we pick and uh, go afterwards, though. Unfortunately, I mean that's true, but yeah, if he copies us, then we've got the moral victory, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> this is very true, and that's the important thing. Exactly, moral victory is what counts. Um, no, this is predictions. Let's do it. Um, for those who are regular, you already know how this works. But for those who are newer, um, we will be predicting the person we think is to be fastest in Q3, the winner of the race, uh, the first DNF, the number of finishes overall, and the position of a random driver, which I believe everyone's back in the pot now, aren't they? We used the last... Yep, we've been through the full 20 drivers, yeah. so they're all going back in for this race. Nice. Uh, so that could be absolutely anybody on the grid mm-hmm. for the last couple of races, basically, which is all the more interesting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if you want to get involved with this, you can join in. Just head to backofthegrid.com. Um, it's still possible to join in, even if you've not been with us all season. Just register and submit yours. They'll be open now while you're listening to this. Unless you're one of the live Discord people, then it's not open. Wait. When we finish recording, then I will open it. <laughs> Calm down. So keen. So keen. They just want to predict now. Uh, right, we're going to do ours though. So fastest in Q3. I've just talked garbage for two minutes trying to introduce this. So you can <laughs> tell me who your fastest in Q3 is going to be, Chris. I think I have to go with Hamilton, both based on <sighs> the way I think this track's going to suit the cars and also just the form he's on. He's on. He's He's just on top of his game right now. I think he's got to be Hamilton. Uh, this is where I'm torn, right? I want to agree with you. And this is a track that I earmarked as a Hamilton will pull some points back here for, I don't know, seven or eight weeks. I've been saying <laughs> that. And the last couple of races where I've said things like this, it's gone the opposite way where I've said, oh, this this is one for Max. This is, oh, this is one for Lewis. <laughs> it's gone literally the exact opposite way. So I'm just going to do something really bold and say Bottas. 
I, do you know what? I was tempted by Bottas. So I'm sticking with the manufacturer I chose, just going for the other driver. Yeah, can go with that. Um, it's a bold risk, but I need points. And if it pays off, I look like a genius. Uh, I'm not being that bold for the win, though. I am going to say Hamilton for the win of the race. Um, what about you? I mean, there's no way Bottas is going to win this race if Hamilton is anywhere near the front, is there? Let's face it. Maybe. Um, I think I have to go double ham. Double ham. Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to go down the. Lewis and Max will both retire, and it'll be one <laughs> of the others' route. As tempting as it is. Okay. First DNF. I'm. I. I'm sort of. And I'm only okay saying this because I'm almost never correct on this. I'm sort of drawn towards Ricardo for some reason. Ooh, interesting. I mean, anyone who listens regular knows what I'm going to say. All together now, it's Kimi Raikkonen. Until he retires or he retires from a race, whichever <laughs> comes first. So, um, lots of people in the live chat suggesting Verstappen and Hamilton for first DNF. I mean, it's entirely plausible. Going into that turn it one, really is. it is entirely plausible. They, I mean, they didn't stay on track in Brazil, did they? They've not got that option here. <laughs> <laughs> so every every possibility. At least it. we won't be talking about track limits after this race. Yeah. Um, number of finishers. I'll go first. I'm being really wild out there. I'm going with that philosophy. It's a new circuit with new surfaces, dust everywhere. Walls, chaos, 15 finishes. Wow. I'm going to go for the complete opposite logic, that they'll get it all out of their system in um, what? in practice and qualifying. It'd have to be 19, because you've got Ricardo as a first DNA. 19, so. yeah, I'm saying 19. Oh, that is bold. I like, think that is bold. Like the last few years, we've gone into Monaco being like 14, 15 finishers, and we've had like, have we had like 20 finishers in Monaco over the last like yeah. two years or something? Yeah, or like that. we've... We had we had twenty this year, did we not? I think and we then, did, yeah. And then the year before, oh no, the, we had nineteen no, no, this year because the club didn't start. Yeah, and the the other year was um, Bottas's wheel, or was yes, that this of year? Course. No, that was this year as well. I think it was twenty but, the year before and eighteen and nineteen yeah, this year. But, but but basically, there weren't any like in the wall no. full on DNFs like what you come to expect. They were they were just general non-finishers that you could have seen anyway. Even with basically. three rookies on the grid as well. Yeah, I think that was the thing that impressed us more than anything, is the rookies that were on there, and, and just younger dri- drivers in general that haven't been there much, and there were no major incidents. So, yeah. Um, we've definitely gone opposites there. Random <laughs> driver, Chris, tell us who it will be. Random driver, let's see. Um, it is... Oops, let's try that I love that while we're doing this, by the way, like there's at least Jeff and Sarah going off in the live chat, like doing their predictions live just because I said <laughs> wait until I'm up and <laughs> <laughs> uh, This week's random driver is Sebastian Vettel. Ooh, I think that's kind of tough. He's a really hard one to predict. Mm, he goes well at places like Baku and stuff, though, doesn't he? He does, he does enjoy a circuit of this ilk. Yeah, although um, it's not really the same as Baku, is it? Other than it's got walls. No, but like Monaco and Baku were 
two of his best, his two best results of the season actually were Monaco and Baku. Fifth yeah. in Monaco, second in Baku. Um, and then he equaled that. Um, well, he didn't equal that in Belgium because he didn't have to race. But you know, <laughs> um, but his last few races, he's been like tenth, eleventh, seventh, tenth. So, oh, that's tricky. Go on, put him somewhere. I'm going to go points again. I'm going to say ninth. Somewhere. Ninth. Okay. I'm going to go a little bit better than that and say seventh. <sighs> tricky. Such I think a tricky I'm, week. I think I could have over-egged his potential <laughs> there. But I, I'm sort of hoping more there are issues above him. Like yeah. an Alpine dropping out, a McLaren and maybe a Ferrari. Some, I don't know, something like that that just falls in his favour. That combined with a solid drive that we know he's capable of, then some decent points. Um, that is us. We will get Stu to do his when he is available. <laughs> um, and as everyone knows, you can go submit, submit them on the website, as I mentioned before. It's backofthegrid.com. Go do that. Uh, as I said, they'll be open once this episode goes out. So fill your boots. Uh, a quick mention of F2 before we move on, because F2 is back. It's been away for 10 weeks since the last round in Sochi, which is a wow, a weird calendar choice. Uh, but it's back for the penultimate round of the season. Uh, Piastri, as we mentioned, is leading uh, Guan Yu Zhou by 36 points at the moment. So he could technically wrap up the title this weekend, but he'd need to outscore Zhou by like 30 points. So it's more likely to go down to the final round in Abu Dhabi. Um, also worth mentioning that um, the American driver Logan Sargent, who recently joined the Williams Young Driver Program, is going to be making his F2 debut with H2A this weekend. What a place to make your F2 debut. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you may remember him. He just missed out on the F3 title last season. There were like three drivers yeah. went into Mugello that could win it, and two of them were out on the first lap, him being one of them. But he's a, he's a good-looking driver, Logan Sargent. I think he's one of the best chances of having an American driver on the F1 grid in the next few years. Yeah, so. I've, li- I've liked Logan for a little while, uh, yeah. so I'm pleased to see him getting a, a step up to the next, yeah, next level, essentially, and should hopefully help him secure a seat in... F2 for next year. Very much crossed. hope so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird talking about F2. You kind of think that he's gone, don't you? It almost like feels like ten, it's over, yeah. Ten weeks ago. It's almost that like Formula E dilemma where Formula E, I mean, it's not as bad for it now as it used to be, I'll, I'll admit, but there used to be a time in early days of Formula E where you had like six weeks yeah, between some races. Huge gaps, yeah. You, you kind of, you missed it because it's like, oh, no, is that this weekend? Oh, I thought it was next weekend. And, and like, or you just be like, oh, it's on this weekend. I didn't even know, I didn't even know yeah. the season was still going. Like, it's it was hard to follow. And I feel a bit sorry for the F2 drivers for that, mainly because they've, had, they've got like nearly three months of yeah. catching up to do and getting their headspace back in the right place and getting used to the cars all over again. It, it is almost like the start of a brand new mini season. It really is, a 10-week yeah. gap. It's insane. It's crazy. Um, yeah, yeah, looking at um, Formula E's calendar next year, they've mostly fixed that. But I think the biggest gaps next season are like four-week gaps between a couple of races, but most of the rest of them are close together. So, Yeah, and I mean, admittedly, we have that in Formula 1 with the summer break. Yeah. So it's, it, it's not... 
unreasonable to have one or two of those over the course of a season. Especially when you've got a small calendar like they do. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, shall we do some inbox to finish up? Yeah, let's. Is. Uh, keep me saying now. Stay, stay out. Right, we've done that first one because you brought it up earlier. That first block, you know, yeah. Group of questions. So I'll move on to the next one. Uh, the rich energy CEO. <laughs> interesting, <laughs> interesting person to be in touch. Um, this pit entry looks like it's going to be tough to navigate. Do you think it'll cause any issues? And why do those issues involve Kimmy? <laughs> um. Uh, I think the whole circuit could present issues, to be brutally honest with you. Yeah, it looks no better or worse than the rest of the track, really, does it? Yeah. Um, I need to go... Do you know what? I'd really need to go re-watch like, the virtual onboards and stuff that have been done. I haven't yeah. even played it on the game or anything yet. It's, it's, not, it's not unlike the Baku one where you approach at high speed and then there's kind of a chicane put in to slow you on the way into the, the entry kind of thing. So it's just like Montreal where you can put an auto pit limiter and just bomb it just, in. Just, yeah? Yeah, just full full whack into it. I don't know. It just looks like a, an area of potential issue on a track that's full of areas of potential issue. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But much like we thought Baku was going to be. Kind when we first of, went yeah. To Baku. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next question from Eugene Risto. Uh, only way both drivers can finish on the same wins um, for the season is if Lewis wins both remaining races, in which case there are no permutations that would lead to a count back of second places. Do you think Red Bull are worried and might overdo it either in Saudi Arabia or Abu Dhabi, giving Lewis a psychological edge on and off the track? Oh, um... So, yeah, so I guess saying that, yeah, like if Mercedes go and win these two races, there's nothing Red Bull can really do about that. They can't rely on countback or anything. Yes and no. I think Red Bull as a team have been here before. Yeah. Red, Red Bull, as much as Christian Horner would like to prove otherwise, know what they're doing. Um, and can actually be quite cool, calm, and collected in these kind of events. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be brutally honest with you, I think a lot of Christian Horner's commotion that he generates is purely like smoke and mirrors, and yeah, it's it's just spoof media presence <laughs> almost, and and arguing for the sake of arguing, like just being an antagonist, like. We're the bad boys that are going to win the title. <laughs> like he's just going for like a weird persona. I don't think it's actually that he genuinely believes half the things that come out of his mouth. To be really yeah. honest with you, I mean, uh, we, we did say last week that Red Bull looked a little bit rattled, and I do think there was something to yeah. that. But I think I think part of that was probably sort of exacerbated by the pressure of being on the road for so long. They had a couple of weeks of just races and events not going their way. I think just having this week off, like a couple of week gap between races is going to actually help them a lot and sort of let them kind of, you know, settle down, clear their heads and just go back into it, just treating it like any other race, turn up and try and win kind of thing. And 
and go from there. So, yeah, like like I say, as a team, as a unit, pretty much everyone that's there is you know there's some really long-standing members throughout yeah. the team. Um, so they've all been there and and done it in the not too recent past or yeah. quite recent past, whichever way that whichever <laughs> way that saying makes sense. <laughs> Grammar is not my strong point right now, apparently. Um, in terms of um, Verstappen, I think I think Verstappen does probably feel under pressure, but he's handling it way better than I would have expected him to at this point. Yeah, completely. Agree. Um, I mean, yes. I would say he's been a little bit on the edge of questionable sometimes. Like, like I know it's just bringing up an old scenario, but like the the whole Brazil thing, like pushing Lewis so far wide and going out with him, that was like a little bit of a. It's it's on the limit. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a line and he is playing jump rope with it, kind yeah. of situation. But it's not like Verstappen previously funnily enough at the same circuit going you're not unlapping yourself esteban ocon <laughs> crashing into the guy and then having fisticuffs with him on the weighing scales like there's definitely a maturity there and it's i mean the the, the on-track aggression hasn't been i suppose there was actually one that i was gonna say it's not been relatively unsafe from him this year but there was obviously the the situation in Onza that was a little bit, eh. yeah, and but, obviously, but gem- generally speaking, I mean, it's been fairly, you know, tit for tat. Mm-hmm. They've both been as bad as each other at times. They've both been as aggressive as each other at times. And to be fair, they've both been as sensible as each other at times. Yeah, like, totally. they've, they've, they've both had the moments on each side of that that whole scale, I think, which is probably why we're in the situation we're in when it comes to the... Because like that Red Bull's not really improved since race one, right? Would, would you... I mean, this is a very broad assessment, but that Red Bull hasn't particularly changed since race one. The Mercedes was struggling with the rake angle um, and the changes to the floor. It, it was more detrimental to them. And over time, they've recouped that mm-hmm. and become probably on par with the Red Bull. Yeah. But the Red Bull's not really... In, or, or at least the Red Bull was that much better to begin with that it's a game of diminishing returns, as I like to yeah, always put yeah. it, where Red Bull had far less to be able to gain because they started off so much stronger. So it looks like Mercedes have outdeveloped them, which in a way they have, I guess, but they started worse off. So... It's, way more to gain again it's six of one and a half yeah six of one and a half dozen of the other like they had far more to be able to gain so i don't even remember what my original point was <laughs> i think it'll be interesting as well to see how assuming it goes to it how verstappen handles the the final race decider like literally be in a situation where your yeah. position in this race decides a title because you know hamilton has been in that situation what three or four times probably like the final race decider yeah. at least um you know so he's he's been there done that bought the t-shirt sort of thing whereas he's, this is all very new to Verstappen but like so far he's handled all of these championship fight things pretty well so yeah we shall see Thomas Hardesty says 
Could sprint events be saved by not only reversing the grid, but by also having teams swap out one of their drivers for the reserve driver and then rotate who races going forwards? I think it would spice things up and help keep reserve drivers from losing any experience from F1. Uh, I should add that they shouldn't decide the starting grid as it currently is because it detracts the excitement from qualifying. Meaning it shouldn't be the sprint race that sets the grid for the main race, I assume. Yeah, yeah, the, the way it yeah. is currently. Which, which generally speaking, it looks like that is the change that they were making. That's, that's the most notable piece of feedback, I think, isn't it, from sprint yeah. weekends is it feels like this is detracting too much from qualifying. Mm-hmm. So the general consensus is in future, the grid from qualifying will be the grid of the Grand Prix it's and the sprint like, yeah. will be somehow modified or... You, if you lose positions in the sprint, you won't lose them on the grid of the Grand Prix and yeah. vice versa, basically. The, um, yeah, I the agree res- with that part, 100%. The reserve driver thing is interesting. I was thinking about this myself recently, actually, um, when we were last talking about it, and I love it as a concept. Like, maybe even just have the sprint races be only for reserve drivers. Or I was like just about to say, say something very similar. Like, I mean, that would be amazing. Like, a combination of um it must be your reserve driver and a young driver mm-hmm. from your young drivers program and obviously if you you know if you're a small team that doesn't have that facility you can potentially call on like your engine manufacturer yeah. for for their young driver or something however but, oh go on no f1 team is going to agree to handing their race cars to two inexperienced drivers on a grid full of inexperienced drivers <laughs> on a race right, weekend. What are you on about? Have you not seen the start of like F1 game races? I was say, unless you want all your Grand Prix to be missing five or six cars. Just waiting for that one guy who thinks he's bold going down the outside of everyone yeah. and breaking at the 50 meter board. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, I, I love the idea of it, but it's, yeah, the, the team's never going to agree to that, unfortunately. Yeah. I'll tell you what would be nice but I feel like we're a long way off it currently, and that's just... It's a shame, basically. But what I would have liked to have seen is something like uh, what form... Uh, what is it called now? Extreme E do, mm-hmm. where uh, the, the split driving is um, male and female. Like, mm-hmm. there's a... Uh, you know, a, a gender balancing of it, I guess. Yeah. And like have one C is a female driver that steps up from Formula W, yeah. Formula w, w series, sorry. And the the other driver is like the reserve driver or a young driver in F2 or something that steps up for, the, for that weekend to get someone coming through from the juniors yeah. and someone coming through from something like W series. Like, sadly, I don't think we're at a point where that would float as an idea which no, is a shame it'd but... be nice to get there one day uh, funny enough we were talking to discord earlier actually um there was a few years ago formula e did a test where i think it was something like every team could run one car in the test with their um one of their race drivers or reserve drivers but they could run a second car if it was a woman driving it um, and I'd love yes, to see F1 do that. something along those lines. And like you say, yeah. especially as I've got W Series as the support series now, and there's like a grid full of female drivers there ready to go. And 
especially as that series matures and I think more of those drivers are going to start getting linked with F- F1 teams exactly. like Jamie Chadwick is. Um, exactly. Yeah, that wasn't I, the question. I don't know how we got there, but <laughs> here uh, we are. Uh, I don't even remember. I've done this twice now, sorry. <laughs> um, what was the original question? Could sprint events be saved by not only reversing the grid, but by having teams swap? Oh, no, we, we, I mean, we, we kind of did, did. We did. We kind of stayed generally on point. The, the last one I just got completely sidetracked <laughs> about. Max Verstappen's championship passed, um, which wasn't even the question at all. <laughs> um, yeah, do the next one. I'll move us on. Uh, this question from Roman Grosjean's cookbook editor. Don't fully get that reference, but I'm sure someone will tell us something about his YouTube channel or something. Um, they ask, in a parallel universe where Danny Rick never left Red Bull, but everything else stayed the same in terms of driver moves, do you think we'd be looking at a three-way title fight at this point, or would the Red Bulls be taking points from each other and Hamilton running away with things? The latter. There is no way there would be a Red Bull this close to Lewis Hamilton fighting for the title if it had those two drivers in it. I don't think they were. It it would it would honestly be that era of Red Bull that was Vettel and Webber crashing into each other and and Vettel doing the loco yeah. finger whirly over an incident that ended up being his fault primarily. Mm-hmm. Like that he that it would have been that Mark II, basically. Yeah. Ricard Ricardo is like the perfect replacement for Mark Webber in that scenario. And to be honest, Verstappen is the perfect replacement for Vettel in that scenario. There like, was it's a it's a blueprint waiting to happen again if he's if he just yeah there. totally is. like there was that couple of years where Red Bull should have walked the title but the inter team stuff kept Alonso in it right to the end yeah and yeah I completely agree with you like as good as Perez has been this year I think a Ricardo that had been in that team for you know it would have been what seven seasons by this point maybe he'd have been with that team six seven seasons like yeah somewhere like that I Ricardo he just would have done better than Perez has done this year. I don't think anyone yeah. would argue with that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like, Ricardo essentially went toe-to-toe with Verstappen, didn't he? Like, as, as much as we say, you know, Verstappen's one of the best on the grid, if not, like, the best, depending on what angle you take to look at it, mm-hmm. Ricardo went toe-to-toe with him, albeit he was a much younger, more inexperienced at the time, Verstappen, than he is now. But, but he wasn't that uh, far off, was he? No, like, and he was beating him and stuff. So yeah, I, I do genuinely think we'd have had that scenario just playing out again. Um, and I mean, Sarah pointed out in Discord chat a second ago, they were already heading that way. And when you think about it, they probably were. Yeah, absolutely. Like incidents like the one at Baku and stuff like that, where they ran into... Was Ricardo running running into the back of Verstappen? That wasn't it. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Like it, it was already heading that way. Uh, last one for this week. Alexia says, quite simply, what's your favorite Williams related moment? That's a nice one to finish on. It is a nice one to finish on. Um, probably quite cliche because a lot of people will think about it in a very similar fondness but uh, watching Damon Hill cross the finish line mm-hmm. in Suzuka for his t- world title um, that was I'd been watching F1 for a good few years at that point as a young kid 
but that was the first season where I sort of remember everything. Like, I remember stuff going back as far as, far as like, 92-ish, like when I was a toddler watching mm-hmm. it with my dad and stuff like that. Like, I I do remember things, but, like, that 96 season is probably the first one that I remember start to end. Yeah. And it, it always stands out in my mind for a lot of reasons. Like, at the time, it was always Williams and McLaren for me. I loved both those two teams, always have. Um, Damon Hill was obviously a British driver, so my dad was, like, proper behind him, like, willing him to win the title. Mm. There was the infamous Murray Walker, Murrayism, the <laughs> I'll have to stop because I've got a lump in my throat. Like, there was just so much through that one moment. Like, yeah. they've had a lot of really good moments over the years with them being around so long, but th- I think as a personal one, which I, probably a lot of people will agree, but that one, like, hits quite strongly, personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was definitely the first like on track thing that sprang to mind. And the, the other thing that I thought of actually was so there's do you remember the time when um Lewis drove Frank Williams around Silverstone in a road car? Yeah. Um, for for that a was awesome. it's been so it's been doing the rounds in the last couple of days. But we were at Silverstone. Um I think it was like it was something like just before FP2 or like between FP3 and qualifying or something. Um, so, you know, there was stuff going on and everyone was just like, you know, chatting and eating and drinking and, you know, moving around and stuff as you do between sessions. Um, and that came on the big screens. It was the first time, I think it was probably the first time it had been shown anywhere. Like that showed it on the big screens at Silverstone. And I think yeah. it was on Sky at the same time. And as that video started, you've, heard the whole circuit just quiet down as everyone just kind of stopped what they were doing and kind of paid attention to it and there was just something really special about sort of seeing that many people all just like focusing in on to watch this like really special thing yeah um yeah and that's like a moment that's always really stuck with me and like just to see like you know even at that age him just like absolutely loving being thrown around a racetrack because that's just like what he always lived for he always lived just for yeah. for racing and competing and fast cars and everything um and, and i think he is one of those people that no matter who you support team or driver people have always had respect for him what he yeah. does within the sport and outside of it um like um, I would like to think that, you know, there's every Ferrari fan out there is devastated because yeah. he's an integral part or well, sadly was an integral part of Formula One. And it you know, he's the same that like Enzo Ferrari, like he's he's up there because some when when you lose somebody like that from a sport like this, I mean we I felt like we'd we'd lost a big part of the sport just when they stepped back from the day to day running mm-hmm. of the team. Um, so it is really sad to have lost someone like that. But there's so many good memories and so many happy memories from their time in the sport as a team yeah. that Frank's been directly involved in over what forty years plus. Yeah, like seventies, wasn't it? He started. Mm-hmm. So so many amazing things to look back on, which is the awesome part of it. Like. As a team, they'll never be forgotten. And 
as a person, he definitely won't be. No, he, him and so his memory and what he achieved will be around as long as F1 as a sport exists. He's yeah. like an integral part of it at this point. And and beautifully, as Jeff pointed out, I think in I think it was Jeff. I hope it was in Discord uh, over this week. Um, Williams for the foreseeable future will hold the highest number of points scored in an F1 race weekend ever. Yes, for a long time, because for those that don't realise and or haven't seen it over this week, um, during the infamous double points race in Abu Dhabi a few years ago. Bottas and Massa finished second and third, respective, I think it was. Yeah. Is that was. way around? Yeah. But yeah, anyway, they finished first, uh, second and third. And because it was double points, they scored a total of 66 points, which realistically can't be beaten unless we change the point system. Yeah. So that's, that's an awesome record that they will f- possibly forever hold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that one a lot. Uh, yeah, right. That feels like a nice point to end on. Uh, so. Yeah. We'll be back in a week's time to review the inaugural Saudi Arabian Grand Prix and whatever it ends up being because it's (laughs) in a period of lots of unknowns, this feels like the biggest of all. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those things, just search Back of the Grid and you'll find us. You can also contact us via our website, backofthegrid.com, which is where you can also enter the Predictions League. You have until the beginning of Q1 to do that. Um, if you would like to get involved with the Discord and the Patreon and all that, just go to patreon.com forward slash back of the grid and you can find out how to get involved there. And I think that is all the things. So we'll be back to speak to you in a week's time. And until then, it's goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>